All right, let's turn in there. Well, you got your faith in action sheets? Hold up if you don't have a, a sheet. There's some over here. Susan needs one. Oh, and by the way, who do raise, I didn't really pay close enough attention. Who actually went to Woodstock? <laughs> oh, okay, I was serious. All right. So we're, we're, on a, we're on a series now, okay? So if you just came, you're new to the game here. You just showed up. We're doing a, we're coming to the end, at the end of May, a series on building the foundation, a firm foundation of our faith, all right? For those of you who are here today, you won't be able to stop from going back and watching every one of the now 12 messages previous to this one. This we know. But building a strong foundation of your faith is incredibly important. I think it's something we need to go back and shore up from time to time in our walk, and I think it's long overdue for a lot of us based on your comments. So today, we're gonna talk about something, uh, what we call personal devotions. This is a, we're gonna talk about this whole phenomenon today and how to have a good personal devotion. What is a personal devotion? And it's called personally. How do you personally interact with God? It's a very important topic. I wanna help you with that. I wanna make some suggestions for that. Now, like this ice cream that I uh, got into in our freezer the other day, things are not always as they seem. I didn't quite know what to say about that. We actually paid 300% over retail at Ingalls for what we saw on the actual carton, <laughs> only to, to be... Uh, I don't know what that was. That's not old ice cream, it's not petrified. It actually is like an hour old. And uh, best I could tell, that is chocolate. Is it not chocolate? It looks like chocolate to me, as I define chocolate. But it is 100% grade A chocolate. It just has nothing to do with vanilla fudge twirl. It's just all twirl. All right, well, a daily devotion is like that. It's not always something that you're going to maybe understand at first glance, but hopefully between you and the Lord and some time together, you come out with what he intended for you to have. Amen? So here it is. Uh, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but do you make it your business, your practice, so to speak, to have what we call a daily devotion? Not all do. Uh, many do. And many of you are quite disciplined at it. You're, you're, you're quite um, well-practiced in this discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. And I know that because I, I, I know how you operate, and I know what we talk about, and I know what you share from your devotions. I'll get uh, sometimes two or three journal pages from people in the church as notes they took from one solitary personal devotion in the morning. Um, and I find it quite refreshing. I, I'm, I'm in awe of it, really. So do you have a morning devotion or a daily devotion? I guess some of you are not morning people, perhaps. Morning for you is, um, it could be non-existent. You could get out of bed at 11.59 and you'd not even have a morning. You could be what is much like an induced coma, some of you. You're not morning people, but others of you uh, are up for your, what do we call this, quiet time, personal devotion, way to start the day. I, I myself am an uh, early person. Uh, 
There's nothing more thrilling to me to start the day than to, to be on my second cup of coffee and my second passage of scripture. That to me is just, uh, just wonderful. But I want to talk a little bit about that whole phenomenon as we go forward. Uh, there's a handyman I ran into this week in someone's home. And uh, we both knew the owner of the home, but we didn't know each other. And he was commenting on the wife that lived there, the woman of the house. And he said to, he said to me, he said, do you have any idea how often and how much and how deep that woman reads her Bible? And I said, yeah, actually I do. He didn't know what I did for a living, so I don't know, he thought maybe I was a, I don't know, I don't know what he thought. But he says, every time I call her, it seems like she's in, her wor- in the word. And I said, well, look at her life. Look at her family. Look at her home. And there's a direct relationship between those two phenomenon. Look at her husband. He has full confidence in her. Full confidence. She is a source of wisdom and counsel. She looks after the poor. She's, in many respects, a Proverbs, what we call Proverbs 31 woman. She's a woman of the word, personal devotions. Sometimes you can go into, I've been in many people's homes, you go into their home and you can just, you can just tell where that person sits and where their Bible is and what's going on. And you know they didn't just put the Bible out because the pastor was coming over for lunch, you know, one of those deals. But that's what I'm talking about today. The Word of God speaks louder and weightier than any other voice. Should, should speak louder and weightier than any other voice in your life. I mean, stop right there and think about it now. I hear all the time, God just doesn't speak to me. And my response usually is, in my head or verbally, are you in the word? The primary way in which God speaks to us is through this book. Developing an art form to hearing, recognizing, and being sensitive to his voice comes on a daily basis. There's nothing like it. So, so we have this personal devotion time. We make, we make uh, devotionals available through the church, and uh, there's fistfights occur in the office when we run low and people come in and want to get some, so we want to make sure they get a devotional. They like that devotional. And that's good. That's a good thing. But our... Are you confident in saying of yourself that you hear from God with a weightier voice than you do any other voice? Because if not, someone else's voice, listen to this, someone else's voice is impacting you more than his. And that just isn't right. He died that he might have access to you, to your mind and to your heart. And he deeply wants to speak to you 
and with you. Those are two different things. And we cannot have someone else, including me, be the intermediary between you and God. There's one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. Direct access to the throne of grace, okay? So if you've, in your word, you've developed this discipline, an enjoyable discipline, I might add, then God ought to be speaking to you. You ought to be able to get nuggets of something to help you make decisions or to counsel other people or to, to be encouraged, okay? So if you're not in the word daily, you're actually harming yourself. That's harmful to you. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeded from the mouth of God, Matthew 4 and 4. We need that kind of nourishment. And notice, if we want to just for the sake of argument say that it's supposed to be a morning thing, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that, although Psalm 63, 1, King David says this, oh God, you are my God. Notice the word my, you're my God. The personalization of God in a relationship with you is of paramount importance. Oh God, you are my God. Not speaking for your family saying, oh God, you are our God. No, no. The personalization. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. When you interact or seek the Lord or go to church or worship or go to a small group or go to a Bible study with other people, that should be the second time that day that you sought the Lord. The first time should have been by yourself. See that? that that's crucial. All right, so let's ask the obvious question because the answer isn't all that obvious. Why is it that we need a daily devotion, assuming that we do? What are the three reasons we need this? What's the purpose? The first, I would say, is preparation. A person who has started their day with God has set a trajectory for the day that's in keeping with what that morning started. A person that's prepared early in the morning and is in the word and has made God the par of paramount importance that day will have a heightened sensitivity to what it is he's called you to do that day. You'll have a higher sensitivity to people, to people's needs, and your life will have more purpose than it will randomness. Your appointments that day may have a more obvious purpose to them. What you share with someone that day may come from that morning experience. What, what you're sharing with others and what you're basing your day on was rooted and established in a personal connection with God. So judging, evaluating what it means to go to church and be a Christian, apart from that, is not fair. It's not fair. This is what we need first. I think that's why most people seek him like that in the morning, as did David. <clears throat> now, the second reason I would say is nourishment. 
Think of it as a spiritual breakfast. And look at the word breakfast. Break fast. Think about it. You're breaking a fast. What fast? Well, if you got eight hours sleep, you had an eight-hour fast. You're breaking that now and starting a whole new thing. So when you've broken a fast, isn't it enjoyable, if you go about it the right way, to start eating again? That's what the morning devotion is supposed to be. You've broken a fast, it's break fast, break breakfast. And now it should be enjoyable for you to start all over again to feed yourself something good. And you are what you eat. Remember that, you are what you eat. A, a good breakfast that didn't fill just the stomach but the heart gives you, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak that day out of the richness of the nourishment of what you ate for breakfast, the bread of life. I think the third reason we have devotions, and it's the most overlooked, is that you're actually, this is, this is a very radical thought, and I want you to really think about it. You're actually supposed to, you and I both, Get ready. Apply what you. <laughs> I didn't mean to startle you there. We're supposed to apply what it is we studied or read or ate to everyday life. James 2 and 17, faith without works is dead. The application. All right, let me, let me take it another step further. Obedience. Obedience. Obedience out of love, out of respect. That's what a morning devotion is supposed to be to apply it in every situation. All right, so here's some suggestions, okay? You, you get up and uh, you do your thing and you're gonna sit down, have your devotion, your quiet time, just you. Um, use the scripture to show you how to start. You shouldn't have to sit there and say, how do I start, I don't know what to do. If it's very new to you, well here it is, I'm gonna tell you. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Start talking to him and thank him for what you have in your life, or how about another day to live, hello, and confess whatever it is you need to confess, and start your day fresh and new with him. If you do that, guess what? The other relationships that you start subsequent to that personal encounter will be a far better off, far better off, okay? so. I use, you hear me use this all the time because it's true. Pre-plant. Pre-plant thoughts in your life for the day. Pre-plant comes out of the book of Philippians. Think about things that are perfect, righteous, excellent, praiseworthy, lovely, admirable, noble, and true. That's how you start your day. You don't listen to the news during your devotion. Did I, did I even have to say that? You don't listen to anything. All right. So you're going to start your morning devotion. It should be something along these lines. I'm going to read this psalm to you. A devotion, a personal devotion, should be something like that. God is our refuge and strength. Where you're sitting, where you're, what you're doing in your private time ought to be a refuge. It ought to be strengthening, an ever-present help in time of trouble. It ought to be a source of courage. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, 
This is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is with her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. His, his, he lifts his voice. The earth melts. What we're trying to cultivate here is an acknowledgement of a love for, respect for, and allegiance and, de- here you go, devotion to a God who wants what's best for us. We need to sync up with that daily so that we can be used by him and we can be touched by him and we can find our worth in him through good times and bad. Years ago, my wife and I had this, we had a fellow minister in our life who um, he was going through, quite frankly, a horrible time. He lost his job, he lost his wife, he lost his little girl, he had nowhere to go, and he called me from South Georgia in Valdosta in some hotel down there, motel. He goes, Gary, I just don't know what to do. And I looked at Angie, and it became pretty clear. We didn't even have to talk about it. I said, what you do is you get enough gas in your car, you get up to our house, and you stay in that apartment over our garage until you get it figured out. We'll expect you today. And he came, and he got a job. But more than that, he got on his knees every morning, every, every afternoon, every night. And he devoted himself to seeking God, seeking God, seeking God. Everything in his life had fallen apart. Spiritual leaders in his life justified a divorce with his wife. Encouraged a divorce with his wife. And he just got on his knees. God opened up his word. We prayed together. We sought the Lord together. He had his personal... He got a little job in a construction company. God only knows how. He knew nothing about construction. Long story short, he's got his own church now. He's a pastor of a church with his wife and his daughter's growing up now. And it was that season, it was that season that God became his strength, his refuge, his hope. And it was the personal devotion that got him by Barely by some days, barely by some days. Some days it was just barely making it until he got the victory, got the demons out of, out of his family, out of his life, the oppression, the depression, all the things that he was experiencing. Somehow he found that light at one time and he made it through that six month, whatever it was. Now he's leading people to Christ. And his family's restored. His father led my father to the Lord. It's an amazing testimony of what it means to be in the word personally. I cannot, I cannot emphasize that enough, personally. And I know, I know a lot of times uh, couples do devotions together. It's not a replacement for personally seeking the Lord. Personally. All right, so... My thinking on devotions is slightly different than other people's, okay? It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's wrong. I just happen to be, I I have a devotional book that I use from time to time. A.W. Tozer, to me, is like off the charts. Uh, He's a guy that, 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 that speaks to things differently than everyone else does. And to me, it's like quenches my thirst. There are other devotional books that I use from time to time. 
But I also believe this. At some point in time, I don't know when, each of us ought to be comfortable with, adept at, and practicing on a habitual basis the, the idea of going to the Bible and having your own devotion without reading what someone else had to say. Many of you are far past that but have yet to actually get into that. You should have done that a long time ago. Okay? The books of the Bible were written with the author's original intent was for you to read from the first salutation to the end of the epistle or to the end of the gospel or to the end of Revelation. It was meant to be consumed in its entirety sequentially. And there's a place for that. Some of you ought to be doing that, okay? You ought to be reading the entire book from start to finish. So what I would suggest you do, if that's new to you, is I would suggest you pick a book that's not like uh, 100, 100 pages long. Four chapters, six chapters, something like that. And make it your business to sit down and go through the entire book. I did this with each of our children when, they were, when Angie was pregnant. I, I got a book and I wouldn't let go of it. All right. The reason I did that is because I turned the study, the devotion for the book into a prayer for my child, all right? Which is another level that we have to get to. We have to pray the word. All right, so once you get to that point, you, you, you read through a book. So I just picked a passage here, Romans 2, one through four, okay? That's a good length, really, four verses for a daily devotion. That's a pretty good deal. You don't want too much more than that. You don't want to resent having sat down, and you also don't want to be there so short a time you don't get anything out of it. Four verses, it's a pretty good meal. And um, you read it, which is, this is, if I was doing a devotion on this, this is what I would do. Now, keep in mind, I'm not the best example either, because for me it's difficult to separate my personal devotion from my vocational ministry. I keep wanting to borrow one from the other. And I have to try to keep them separate. Okay? So that's not as easy as it sounds. All right, so I would, let's say that my devotion today, and it was today, because that's what I did. Romans 2, 1 through 4. The first two words say, you, therefore. All right? I would have had read Romans 1 yesterday, which I did. So I know that he's referring to chapter one when he writes this, therefore. So you always gotta go back before you go forward. That's the context. So I'm going to go through these four verses. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna expect God to speak to me about it. Just, he wrote it, right? So I'm looking at this. It's not a published devotional. Um, and it's gonna be, it's gonna take the Holy Spirit and me getting together on this to figure something out. And that's good, it's good, it's what I need. Um, it's not like a Bible roulette. Like, someone told me this one time. I got in financial trouble, I really didn't know what to do, so I just opened the Bible and I closed my eyes and I pointed. And then that God told me what to do. I go, well, what was it? He says, well, I pointed chapter 11, filed bankruptcy. I said, all right, so we can do a little better job than that. So he goes, at first, to be honest with you, I want to file bankruptcy. I did again, and then I've landed on chapter 13. 
We're better than that, right? So you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. Oh, man. All right, well, all of a sudden, this, this is interesting. This is, getting, this is getting interesting to me all of a sudden because chapter one is about uh, people who have uh, got involved in same-sex attraction. Okay, <laughs> this is interesting now. Uh, he's 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 giving someone a charge in light of uh, this this discourse that he's just given these Roman believers in the city of Rome on on the subject of um, same-sex attraction, homosexuality. And he says, you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. Okay, wow. Um, And I remember from the earlier devotion the word excuse, right? This is something you get when you read through it. Romans 1, 18 to 20 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since they may be known about God. So, So what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. I remember that from yesterday. Now he's saying, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. I thought, wow, okay. That to me is interesting. I'm going to have a conversation about that one. Excuse. I don't have any excuse. Other people don't have any excuse. I told you we're going to learn something about creation today. Creation makes a statement about God's invisible qualities. It says right there in Romans. And no man is without excuse. No woman is without excuse. Just by the simple nature, the created dimension of nature speaks to what is right and what is wrong. That, that in and of itself. In fact, the purpose of nature is to declare God's invisible qualities and make known to man so he's without excuse of who God is, what his intent was, and what's right in the natural order of things. But that's very clear. And then he says, Gary, you, you therefore have no excuse. Now, I, I do not have a same-sex attraction. So I now read this and I say, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. All right. So nobody has any excuse. So what does that mean to me? Uh, I happen to be, I'm not thrilled about it, uh, I happen to be in a position, at a time and place, in a position where people insult me often. It's getting to be more and more. They insult me. Not directly. They, they lob insults through other people and phone messages and talking behind my back. And they, they do that in kind of a surprising, uh, spineless way, frankly. Spineless. And it's not in love. And, but I also have to know this. I have to know this. Like, so this, is, this is something I have to understand. If I don't understand this, I, cr- I just shrivel up and die. 
from disappointment. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. What's disappointing to me is not that I'm insulted and not the way that I'm insulted, but that the insults aren't even coming from the secular world, they're coming from the church. That's the disappointment. So I have to deal with this. If, and I have, I choose to have a ministry based on the scripture, you can pretty much bank on the fact somebody's not gonna like it. I'm fine with that. It's not me they don't like. I mean, how could they not like me? <laughs> it's the word or whatever. I keep convincing myself that's the case. I'm not very successful. So, so this, this whole idea here that um, we're supposed to pass judgment on people, uh, in this particular case, uh, same-sex attraction, is interesting to me. I look at our culture, my wife and I were talking about this last night. You know how technology changes at a very fast pace, computer, software? I just wanna let some of you know that Fortran is, 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 out, is out of style. Passe now, okay. And um, it seems like immorality uh, is, is recreating itself and duplicating itself in various ways that we're not accustomed to, okay? Um, things like uh, gender orientation, we haven't caught up to how to deal with that. Nobody really, it hasn't been around long enough for us to really, I heard a guy the other day say, I'm going to a, a function in this state and so-and-so in my family is no longer a he, he's now a she, and we don't know, we're all sharing phone calls on how to deal with that at the funeral. I found that, oh, well, that's interesting. Everyone's trying to learn what to do. We haven't, we haven't had this issue, right? So we're all trying to figure it out. The whole church is trying to figure it out. The problem is we don't have a home office that puts out a memo. So everybody handle it this way. So we end up with everyone handling it differently. So in, in some occasions, I'm accused, I'm just being transparent with you. I'm accused of not preaching against certain sins. Basically, that's what my big insult is. I don't preach against sins, certain sins. often enough or hard enough or whatever. But then again, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. I mean, it does say that. So I say to myself, I end up looking like I advocate the sins, you see. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, you who pass judgment do the same things. Okay. You see, when you, when you come to a church and you say, well, 
we want you to be uh, our pastor, and I feel called to come here, and then we, we, hire, we hire, and we, we, this is what is what I do, and this is my church. The expectation is, I hope, you're going to share the word of God. I mean, if not, let me know. I, I'll, I'll be sitting next to you next Sunday. Share the word of God. No matter what it is, share it. That's it. So I have a hard time understanding if that's the case, if my job is to preach against certain sins, which ones do I know to preach against and which ones do I not? What is the line there? What, do I preach on your sins or other people's that aren't here? And what do I say to the person in the congregation at the moment who's struggling with same-sex attraction and is seeking the Lord? What do I say as I trash their behavior or their mindset or their past? And how do I really try to minister to the parents of sons and daughters who have a same-sex attraction who are grieving that whole reality? What do I say to them? And how do I make everybody happy at the same time? Well, frankly, you don't. You preach the word. Take it or shake it. That's it. I mean, Paul said it this way. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So in my daily devotion here, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, all right, I'm just called to preach the Christ crucified. To lift Christ up, he'll draw all men unto himself. But I also know, because you don't just take one little passage and then make a doctrine out of it. Speaking of same-sex attraction, Romans 1, 24 to 27, therefore God gave them over and their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created beings rather than the creator who was forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. That whole passage, so if you, have a, if you have a daily devotion where you're going through a book, that already says all of that judgment and distance and wrath, which is just God stepping away from people, that's all his business. That's like, that's his realm. That's his responsibility. That's what he's using creation to do, and that's what he's personally doing with everyone. I think it would be an insult to your intelligence to harp on, to, to have you come to church every Sunday and harp on the fact that homosexuality is not a sin. It is. But why would I come in here and just, like, that's all I would talk about. So as I'm going through this devotion, I'm saying to myself, you can release, you're released, I'm released. God's at work in this thing. 
He's got a plan he's working out, and my job is to preach Christ. Right? That way, I don't, I don't have to open wounds of parents every Sunday, and I don't need to send the man and the woman that are in the room right now who have a same-sex attraction who are trying to overcome that temptation and live in Christ. I don't have to worry about them either. All I have to do is just preach the word. Okay? So that, so that devotion to me was very important. Despite the label I get for it, that's what I'm called to do. And frankly, that's what you're called to do. Because there's no, uh, there's no line. This is the thing. There's no line. Do you preach against one sin? And do you also preach against the person who's judging them? What, where does it end? What, I mean, we end up just condemning one another. Oh, uh, geez, what was that? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's a price to pay. This is what I'm trying to get to you. Out of the devotion I had, sin is sin. It's clear. How we deal with it is not. And it's going to be interesting in the next 10, 15 years. It's going to be very interesting for this church who you decide to take this church into the future. You get the wrong person, you're in real trouble. Because this culture we live in, we have not begun to see. We can't even fathom some of the things that we're going to have to talk about and deal with. And we have to figure out how to do that. We think we do. But we don't. Because it's already right here. That's the whole purpose of the book. Right? All right. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Well, I got, I got sin in my life. I'm sure you do in yours. I don't, I really don't need you to remind me of it. I'm fully aware of it. I know my shortcomings. I, I know my faults. But the last thing I want to do is come to church and you tell me about them. I'm fully aware. I'm fully aware. So save some time. I'm actually fully aware of some of yours. And it ain't pretty. And there's only so much truth that you want from me, I can tell you that. I'll let you have it. You don't want it. I'll let you have it. What, to what end? What's the point? If you're going to condemn somebody of not doing something or doing something wrong, and there's the absence of conviction of the Spirit, what have you done? Nothing. Well, you've heard them. My gosh, you can't get Christians to come to church, let alone lost people, for crying out loud. Somebody wake up. That's what we should do. We'll put a sign out there. We condemn your sin on a weekly basis. Come on in. All right. I am not the Holy Spirit, nor are you. Let's give him a little room to work. I only say this because I've seen people blown right out of the door here, right out the door. 
in situations that took me five, six, seven years to build credibility. In five to six seconds, it was over. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Well, of course it is. It's one thing to, to totally ignore a subject. You have, to, you have to declare what's sin, right? You can't condone things. You can't leave people wondering. I hope I don't leave you wondering where I'm coming from. But... Here's the way I observe it working. Immorality, confusion, especially on a sexual nature in humanity, starts out in the world somewhere. You hear about it, right? You hear about it in the news or something. It's out there. And then it becomes less of a world thing and more of a, a national thing. And then it becomes, well, usually... <laughs> Usually, out west, I'm kidding, not really. And then it becomes a, like a North Carolina thing. Then it, becomes a re, then it becomes something in our community. Then it becomes something in your family, your extended family. Then it becomes something in your nuclear family. And then it could be something that you struggle with. That's the way it works. But that would never happen here, and then all of a sudden, here we are dealing with this. We have to know how to deal with it. That's the purpose of the devotion. That's what I got out of it anyway. We have to know how to deal with these things. We don't condone them, but we don't condemn people either. God does that in his timing, okay? So what are we gonna do with all this? <laughs> I got a friend who's going to a funeral who who's going to have a whole other dynamic going on with his family. He's going to have to figure out how to deal with that or not deal with it. As a believer, as a Christian. Yeah, you get that all figured out, let me know. You get it all figured out, you let me know. All I know to do in the meantime is look at this right here. Paul later says, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Man, that's strong. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We have to live as though God is working things out, one. We have to live as though we're not God, two. And we need to give him room to do what he's doing, three. And in the meantime, not mess everything up. And certainly not compromise the truth and live a holy life. I'd much rather you insult me than one another, so I'm already receiving a lot anyway. Keep it on, just keep it coming. Just don't share with one another. How's that? I'm a big boy, I can take it. It is an interesting world in which we live. Is it immoral more now than it ever has been? Probably not. Man's always been sinful. We just know more now 
We know more faster now. We're, we're, we're more intellectual now. We, we, we have information that other people didn't have for five, six, seven years in history. We have it in five seconds. We know what's going on around the world in seconds. So yeah, maybe it appears as though things are getting worse. Maybe they are. I think they are gonna get worse than they are now. But it is an exciting time to live as a follower of Christ because you're, especially in a nation that's no longer Christian, no longer has an appetite for scripture, no longer has an appetite for attending a worship service, and is caught up in the middle of all of this stuff. And then we haven't even brought in the legislative arm of the whole thing. It is a fascinating time at which to be a believer. Recognize that. But you have to, like I have to, I don't have to, have your personal devotion time. Not just on something that was written 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, but something that was just written or just the Bible so that you can look at the culture in which you live and apply the truth to the culture, right? Some of the devotion books we're reading, these things weren't even issues that we're dealing with. They weren't even in the imagination of people, but they are now. They're everyday living realities that have come home to roost. So, you're here today and you have a same-sex attraction, a temptation, I commend you in the name of Jesus Christ for seeking the Lord. That's what I gotta say. I, I pray nothing but the Spirit of God upon you and in you and through you. That's courageous. That's, that's courageous. That's exemplary to me that you would be seeking the Lord. Thank you for that example. I think in many respects, you may be seeking the Lord with a greater passion and intensity than those who are condemning you. Noble, keep up, keep it up. Seek Jesus Christ and his kingdom. If you're a parent here today and you're dealing somewhere in your family with this issue of same-sex attraction, I know it grieves you, I, know, I, I don't know, I can only say to you, I encourage you in the Lord. I encourage you in the Lord to have a sensitivity, just to have a divine sensitivity to the voice of God, to know how to love, to know how to respect, to know how to navigate those waters. I, 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 I get that. You have, a, or you have a prodigal that's off somewhere and you're hopeless and you're just distraught and you don't know what to do and you stand at the, into the driveway waiting for them to come home and they're in their pig pod, eating pig pods. I get it. I, I, I get it, I know, you're, you're, you, have a, you have a serving or a portion right now that's tough to swallow, it's tough to navigate, it's tough to pray through. Be of good cheer, stay the course. Keep coming, keep, keep pressing in. I'm not gonna condemn you for it. Don't come in here on Sunday, I'm not gonna condemn you for it. Not everything's your fault, right? Not everything's your fault. God's at work. Be of good cheer, believe, trust. That's the way it works. The voice of God has to be the clearest, deepest, most crystal clear voice in your life. Has to be. And it's not. 
Not, it's not. Not near as often. It's not. It's not. It's your friends. It's your prayer group. It's your prophet. It's your author. It's not. It's not directly from the Lord. It's two or three generations removed, two or three people removed. You get indirect directions from other people. It's not the Lord directly. Decipher that, please, decipher that. If God can't speak to you directly, there's a problem. And if you're reliant upon two, three, four other girlfriends or guys you work with to hear from God, you're missing out on a personal devotion. And someone needs to tell you that. God speaks through various mediums, various people, various networks, news-related agencies, books, authors, everything, creation. But he also speaks directly to you. And those things ought to sync up. Say what you want about that. Somebody needs to say it. Personal devotion. Personal devotion. Scripture. Probably could have used a less controversial subject. but you wouldn't have remembered it. You live, whether you like it or not, in cancel culture. I am not an idiot. I'm subject to get canceled just like anyone else at any time and could care less. I have that freedom. I'm, I, I rely on the Lord Jesus Christ first. And I want you to do the same because you're going to get canceled. You're going to get canceled from Christmas or Thanksgiving. You're going to get canceled. Believe me. And you've got to know to whom you belong and to who you serve because it's coming. You're going to get canceled in the workplace. Some of you are going to lose your jobs. You're going to lose your son or daughter. Wake up. Personal devotion. Hearing from God. The only one who knows how to navigate this twisted world we live in. And pray to God someone in the churches is listening. Because it's going to be pretty interesting. How in the world would you transition to communion after that? <laughs> that is, un, I don't even I have to hear from the Lord. The believers in Rome lived in an uh, incredibly amoral society. In many respects, we do as well. We do. 
And here they were, being encouraged by someone they had never met, tried to establish their credibility as an apostle. Tried to share with them the most important things he could share with them in the context of what they lived. And they lived in the midst of violence and immorality and sexual immorality and a really base, twisted culture. They did. They were, the odds were stacked against them, these people. And he gave them the greatest written treatise on the gospel of Jesus Christ any human being in partnership with the Holy Spirit could come up with. He gave them the gospel with a depth of, of explanation that could be understood by the simplest mind with an extravagance and a lavishness that could be understood by the intellectual mind. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And he did it. He was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And he did it in such a way that he didn't he didn't personally condemn anybody or their sin, but he left it to God's wrath. He also realized that those who sin against God have no excuse, but he also included himself, that I have no excuse. And boy, was he aware of his own sin. I hope you're aware of yours. And there's my transition. We have to. It is a necessity for a triumphant church to be aware of their own sin because we live in a world of sin. And if we lose touch with our own sinfulness, we become the single most irrelevant group of people that have ever walked the face of the earth. And this table will remind you of your need for grace and mercy and forgiveness. Careful, my friend, who you judge and how you judge. There are some sobering words in that first chapter. I'd encourage you to look it over. Some things are God's to do. Others are ours and still others are us in partnership with him. Do what's asked of you. Do what's commanded of you to do. But know your limitations. Know your limitations. God is at work in this world. As much as messed up as it looks, no one has an excuse. All will be judged by a righteous judge, many will perish. Followers of Christ, heed the word of God. Do not walk with spiritual arrogance. Walk in humility. Walk in the Beatitudes and give God a greater opportunity to do what he wants to do in this world without our interruption. Do not play God. Hear from him directly. Still yourself. Direct communication with the Lord first. Listening to everybody else second. And you're welcome. You're welcome. 
I'll be the first to admit, I need this cup. I'll be the first to admit my heart can get corrupted. I can get full of myself. I can get entitled. I can be callous. I can be judgmental. I can be childish. If anyone else relates to any of that on any level, you're welcome to this table. I'll be the first to tell you I'm going to take mine right now. I don't want to wait another second. Listening to myself. Communicants, if you would come forward, please. Friends, let's be sober here, okay? Let's be sober here for a moment. Let us examine ourselves. This is my body broken for you. I said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of your sin. This is the body of Christ and the blood of the Lamb. Our greatest need our primary importance and our identity. And we should be, I hope, grieved that others are without his body, without his blood, and without redemption. Mindful that no man, no woman, has an excuse. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be light in the midst of darkness. And we'll forever praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come soberly to the table and partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ.